Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Listen, please introduce yourself. I can't wait to introduce you to everybody here, but I think you'll do a better job of it. So (laughs) tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, so I uh, own Sea Level Agency, which is a marketing brand design um, strategy, all things um, agency. And I have done a, tra- a ton of traveling in the past. I've been to about forty countries, and I just recently finished walking the Camino de Santiago, which is a five hundred mile ancient pilgrimage across Spain. Um, and I love using all of my experiences, all of the the stuff that I've done to bring back to my clients and show them how that they can take a product or a service or something that's in a traditionally, quote, vanilla industry and give them an opportunity to have a lot of fun with it and show them how they can be really bold and human in their branding and marketing. I love that because I think, you know, maybe it's just I'm a little partial because HR probably seems like it would be a vanilla industry, but there's so much to it that people don't talk about because 99% of the world is an employee. They're not the person doing the strategic HR. And there Mm -hmm. are so many other businesses that, especially working on the back end of them, are truly like very interesting. It's just that it's not this big flashy thing. And it doesn't mean that it's less than or less important or that there isn't potential to have a lot of fun marketing for these types of businesses. But Mm -hmm. it's also, I don't know, there's something when I first heard about you doing this type of branding, it really stuck with me because it's truly the key to building a sustainable long-term business is building businesses that seem boring because they're common because everyone needs them. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, how do we make it fun and how does that set you apart when we all have to go and use these services? So how can we make it a better experience for everybody? Well, and it's not only that everybody has to use them, but we also forget that just because we might work in quote boring or vanilla industries doesn't mean that we're not people. Doesn't mean that we're not interested in fun things and talking about interesting stuff. Like just because we're not Taylor Swift running, you know, having a brand and like, like Taylor Swift and being on the Eras tour, doesn't mean that our audience doesn't want to have fun like that. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, first of all, no one is Taylor Swift. Which yeah, is, exactly. Like <laughs> I'm unsure about how much Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift is. Right. There has to be more than one of her. Like, I don't understand how she could be performing at that level every night, having so much fun, being so authentic and genuine. Like, I mean, it must just be like, this is a total tangent, but it must just be like Mm -hmm. so life giving to be standing Mm -hmm. up and performing your art like that in front of people to be doing it every night in that way, like traveling Mm -hmm. in between like. And she just keeps adding dates. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> like, she is something really special. Oh, I know. I want to try to get tickets for the the Europe leg of the tour so bad, but I'm terrible, like, at registering and being organized with that kind of stuff. So, you know, 
I feel it. I feel it. And I heard that she released some new dates and they're in, they were in L she was in LA this last week, which is only an hour from here. And I was like, I just have to go. Like, I just have to. And of course, like there was no way, like, even if I bought tickets, like it was just, I waited too long. And that whole like ticket master registration thing was like so overwhelming to me. But anyways, um, I'm going to try now because it feels like that's like a life changing moment that everyone is obsessed with. So um, but on that note, you mentioned Europe, you mentioned some of your experience with travel. How do you think that has informed your, your business path and the career path that you've chosen? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, first of all, I started my business in the first place. We actually started as, um, solely a design studio. Um, and I started it for the purposes of being able to work from anywhere and being able to, you know, travel with my laptop and being able to, um, deliver really great, uh, designs to my clients. But as I started to travel, more and more, all of those cultural things were being infused into my design and my strategies. I I often tell my clients now with the marketing strategy and brand management side of things, um, people are fundamentally the same. We all want very similar things, no matter where in the world we are. We all want very, very similar things. So when you are trying to to speak to your audience, all of those conversations, the people that I've talked to in Jordan or Egypt or Austria or Vietnam or wherever it is, all of those people, while culturally they have different interests. They, you know, their burgers at McDonald's look different. There are different things, right? Of course, about their culture, but ultimately everybody wants to feel seen and heard. Everybody wants to believe that the brands that they follow are behind them with their values and what, what matters to them. So all of those travel experiences, while at first it was just because I wanted to be able to take my laptop anywhere in the world, now it's really informed the way I approach strategy and, and you know, the management of big brands. And I think that there's something really powerful about the way that you described the travel and the way that you wanted to live your life as the root and kind of the motor behind your goals. Because I think in online business, especially remote teams, we're seeing so many people that build a business so that they can get to that Mm -hmm. point. But you were like, well, no, this is like built into the fabric of the way I want to run my business. I'm going to build my business I'm going to travel and then build my business on top of that. So it feels like there was a lot of intention behind it. Is that, can you like kind of go a little bit further back and talk about what made that such a a key priority for you in the way that you designed your life? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, uh, when I was 10 years old, my grandmother took me to Paris. It was just the two of us. And she actually took all of her grandchildren when they turned 10 anywhere in the world that they wanted which is such, even saying that out loud now, being in my 30s now, thinking about what a privilege that was for a 10-year-old, I went from, um, and my birthday is in the summer, so we actually went a little, a few months before my birthday, which was the very end of uh, fifth grade. So I missed the last day of fifth grade. 
And I was bullied in school a little bit too. So when I got to Paris and was walking around having a croissant here, seeing the Eiffel Tower, having gelato there, like all of these incredible experiences in my brain, it, it immediately clicked and said, oh my God, the world is not just fifth grade. <laughs> the world is so much bigger than this. And for a 10 year old who's having a hard time in school, and um, I didn't know until later that I was also diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia. So, you know, for a 10 year old kid that's having a really difficult time in school to be given such an immense opportunity to see how big the world was. Um, I tell my grandmother even still, it's like, this is all your fault. You know, I, <laughs> this is all my travel and all of the stuff that I do is now all of your fault. So, um, anyway, fast forward, you know, through college and after college, I graduated, um, and just couldn't find a job. So I said, all right, you know, it's time to travel. It's time to, to take this on the road. And I started getting some freelance writing clients, uh, and then those writing clients, you know, I was 22 and calling myself a freelancer. So those writing clients sort of looked at me as the know all things tech young person. Uh, <laughs> and they said, hey, can you design my site? And I lied and I said, absolutely. Yes, I can. <laughs> and then I just started to learn design. And then I got really good at the strategy and the brand management side of things. And, and now here we are. Yeah, I love that. I think it's so... It's just such a lesson, like, to get out of the bubble that you're in. It's one of the – I like to think, like, in dealing with anxiety and also being diagnosed with ADHD, which we have in common at a later point in life, that's one of the ways that I feel like I've always coped is by traveling because it just helps you get perspective on, like, get out of mm -hmm. your head and, like, the, the never-ending loop of thoughts and things mm -hmm. like – you know, we're not going to get too dark here, but you know, everything that goes into okay. it and the roller coasters yeah. of life in general that all of us can relate to, whether they have ADHD or not. Um, it's just so nice to see that there's so much going on outside of you. And it's also incredibly humbling. So I think as an adult, like I didn't really travel till I was in my 20s. Like you're like, whoa, I'm not yes. the center of the universe. Like I actually have a huge problem. Exactly. With <laughs> No, and that's such a beautiful part of it too, is realizing that you are so small in the scheme of things, you know, going, taking an entire day of travel to get from one side of the world to the other is, is a miracle in itself that it only takes a day to get to the other side of the world. But it's also the fact that it takes so much effort, it, it like there's so much going on. There's so much life happening while you're asleep, while you're having an argument with your partner or your parents or whatever, like there is so much out there, so much perspective that travel is really singularly capable of showing you. Yeah. And I think that lends itself to two things. Like number one, just the humility of it and the mm -hmm the compassion for others. You never know what they're going through. It's an endless, infinite infinite number of things that somebody could be dealing with when you're having a conversation with them. And like sharing that compassion is a huge part of leading people in business. Um, but then on the other side of it, it's also really unique and a really different perspective to think about the possibility for your business on a more positive day. There are so many people out there. We do not need to be entrapped into this Instagram cycle of competition and 
uh, followers and whatever. It's like, do you, I, you know, we have, a, I have a very small following on Instagram. I don't really do Instagram except for like probably wrong and <laughs> maybe to like talk about this podcast, which is great. But yeah. at the end of the day, like that's not a component of like business too much. It's just kind of fun. And mm-hmm. I, you just think, oh, I have this small following, a couple thousand people. It's like a couple thousand people is so many people. Like many people. you, there are so many people out there. Like we don't, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's truly something that I can't even fathom. Like when you're thinking about business, there are so many possibilities. There are so many clients. There's so much potential. There's so much opportunity. And when I know I go through these big, huge roller coasters in business, mm-hmm. and I'd love to chat with you about that. And yeah. one of those things is just coming back to like, Yes, you are just one cog in a machine and that can feel really discouraging. But also like there are so many people out there that can connect with you. You never know when you're going to have that next amazing conversation or that person you can help or that business that you can serve. And like don't give up. Like the opportunity is there. And I feel like sometimes it's really hard to see past that when you're overwhelmed by all the business stuff. But I know your business journey has been quite the evolution. So can you talk mm. a little bit about those roller coaster feelings and why you know, just tell us a little bit about the last few years and, and yeah, absolutely. everything that came um, up to that. Yeah. So I um, have had such an evolution over the last few years. Uh, like I said, I started as um, only a design studio web and, and branding. Um, and I, in my personal life, I went through a lot of tumultuous things. Um, I had a really unexpected, crazy breakup that was abrupt and it sort of sent me on this. Um, now, of course, I'm so grateful to have had that experience um, and, and grateful, of course, that I was sort of provided with the opportunity of hindsight, of seeing things now in the rear view as, you know, at the time when all of this was going on, of course, it was terrible. Um, but all of those things that led from, you know, having that breakup. Um, I also fell down rollerblading and broke both of my elbows (laughs) just before that breakup happened. So I, um, took some time off of my business. I took about like six or so, six to eight months off of my business. I was in two slings. I had, you know, gone through this breakup and I now look back on that and think, first of all, thank God. (laughs) thank God that happened. Um, and second of all, now that I have hindsight, it's been such an, uh, the lessons that I've learned from that, I never would have changed my business model. I never would have adapted to the way I communicate with clients. I also never would have taken the time off my business. And I really needed that. It was kind of the universe slapping me in in the face and saying, you're not going to take the break yourself. So we're going to break both of your elbows. So you can't use your arms. also going to give you another emotional thing to go through so that you are forced into taking a little bit of a rest. Yeah, that's, I mean, 22 to dive into this, like I didn't start entrepreneur, the entrepreneurship journey until I was, till I was 32, truthfully. So at that point, it's like, you know, I've already got 10 years under my belt and I've been beaten up by corporate and all this stuff. But, and I thought, well, that's a really amazing reason to start being an entrepreneur because we've been abused by corporate. But like you don't think about the emotional journey that you go on as an entrepreneur and how 
heavy and unique it is, especially when you're like in your, I mean, I think my twenties were like my most formative years. Like people are like, would you go back? And I'm like, I'd rather die. Um, so, (laughs) So it's just so, it's so crazy to need, to need that kind of separation at, it's the same thing, no matter where you're coming from, like to have that separation. And how did that rest contribute to when you decided to come back to sea level, like full force and mm-hmm. pursue a different like path or, you know, just talk through how it was informed by this rest and experience? Yeah. Well, first of all, when I started my business, I, it was almost immediately after college and the, and you know, part of it was because I was going to travel and wanted to travel and wanted to be able to work from anywhere. But the other piece of that was I graduated from college at a time when the economy was very much still in recovery and the job market was, was, you know, better luck next time, kid. So I started my business because I was like, all right, I got to feed myself. I got to do something to make money. Mm -hmm. So I have this degree in journalism. Why don't I tell people that I'm a writer and start from there? Um, And that's also a really, you know, looking back now in my 30s, I think, oh, my God, for a 21, 22 year old kid to be going through all of that and then decide to start a business of that and then start traveling after that. And then like these are all really, really big things that I never actually stopped and paid any attention to. So I started design because it was sort of, I was pushed in that direction from the writer to, hey kid, why don't you design my website? Okay, sure, (laughs) I need the money. So absolutely, yes, I can Google that. I can do that for you. And then I just, you know, being, as you probably know from the ADHD side of things, once you get fixated on something, there is no turning back. So (laughs) then I just got fixated on design and I taught myself to code and all these things. So, it was sort of, it, it wasn't something that I necessarily chose. It was given to me as this path, as this opportunity. And I'm thankful for that. But I had also changed so much since that time that I never really looked up and paid attention to the ways that I had changed. So when I was forced into that break, coming out of it, I had so I had such a new perspective on, first of all, I'm so much smarter than I was when I was 22 in terms of, you know, I've grown my own business. I've helped clients with their strategy and their brand management, all of these, like there are so many things that I've, my business has matured alongside of me. And now I need to give it the opportunity to breathe in the way that it, that it needs to. Um, so that I had just never sort of looked up and checked in on myself and said, oh, I've changed so much. So that means my business needs to change alongside of me. That is so, it's so unique. Like the bold moves that you make as a 21, 22 year old that you're like, yeah, sure. That take me 10 years to get my guts in order to be like, oh, I actually have this three month break thanks to a global pandemic for the first time in my life. Guess Mm -hmm. I better go do my dream now because... I guess there's nothing else to do. It, that's literally what happened. I was like, I've never had a break. I've never had a moment. Like, I've never had a second to, like, look back on my career. And I've never once – I always said I want to help small businesses grow. I want to be a consultant. I love to work on projects in a short term. Like, I did a lot of leadership and management training. So it was – I knew myself as a worker and what I wanted. And that career was always the direction I was moving in. And so it's kind of funny how 
no matter when you start or where you start, the experience adds up over time anyway. Like, I feel like if I were to talk to my younger self, I'd be like, yeah, you do just have to give it time and experience. But like, maybe be a little more like Allison and be a little bit more bold and put yourself out there in a different way than just letting the the corporate companies like toss you around and trying to get what you can out of that experience. Like, I feel like you really grabbed hold of it and were like, well, I'm going to decide what I'm going to learn and I'm going to decide what direction I'm going to go. And I think we forget that we can do that based on our own experiences. So give yourself some goddamn credit, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, thank you. And I will take the credit, but I will also say the, the, the same thing to you in that, you know, I'm not the kind of person that thinks... Um, like our, we should be grateful for our trauma, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think necessarily everything happens for a reason or we should like, what doesn't yeah. kill us make us stronger. I, I'm that's not that not, enlightened either. I'm like, nope, I'm yeah, mad. That's not, that, yeah, that's not necessarily my philosophy because there's a lot of things that, you know, have happened in my past that I'm like, I would be equally strong if I didn't have to go through any of that nonsense. However, mm-hmm. I will say that if you didn't have your 20s of being in corporate, of seeing all the mistakes that the big corporations were making and the way that they treated their employees, then you wouldn't be the the business owner that you are now. So everybody who's meant for entrepreneurship, it lands on you in the space where you need it to land on you. For me, it was out of necessity when I was 21, 22 years old because I needed to make some cash and then it evolved. For you, you had to go through these experiences so now you can show up and be the HR representative that that you never had for yourself. Yeah, I love that. And I think we are so hard on ourselves, like especially as women, we're like, well, we suck until we don't and then we suck again. So you might as well be living a life that you design the way that you do and not let travel and exploration and freedom be a result of backbreaking work for year after year, but instead taking those goals, centering them, and then building your business around them and not feeling mm-hmm. guilty for it. Because I don't think that people realize they can make that choice. Like that can yeah. be a choice that you make. Just the same way that if you decide that it's not a priority for you at this time, then that's a choice that you made. It's not just, oh, it happened to me. You know, like I made a choice to prioritize building roots somewhere, having a family or building up multiple businesses or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, those are all choices that we made that we can be proud of. Like, not one person's experience is better than another. And they can change. Like, what we want can change over time. And your business can change with it, which I think that your story is such an example. I do want to talk about the dyslexia because hearing as your friend, hearing this from you and understanding how that affected your life, I know that we will teeter on the ADHD side of things a little bit, but dyslexia is totally different. I mean, to compare them feels irresponsible and you can totally tell me I'm wrong because I don't know. But can you talk to us a little bit about how the fuck did that happen? Like, how did they miss that? How did you not get what you needed? And how have you learned to advocate for yourself, especially in in that area of Mm -hmm. your, I don't, what do you call it? It's not mental health. It's, it's not, is it a disability? Like, I'm sorry if I sound totally ignorant. Yeah, no, no, no. That's okay. Because to be totally honest with you, there's a lot of things about it that I'm also very ignorant about. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still figuring out how ADHD and dyslexia interact if they do at all. Um, and you know, I, I think that they do quite a bit. Um, but I think it got missed in the same way my ADHD got missed. I was, um, you know, a girl. 
I um, was like cute as a kid. And when you're a cute little girl, you're just quirky rather than having learning disabilities, right? Your ADHD and ADHD also presents so differently in girls. Typically, we're not quote, hyperactive, the hyperactivity is going on internally. Mm. So there's a lot of things, there's a lot of um, symptoms or signs of ADHD that we just don't understand in girls. And I think that it's similar for dyslexia in that diagnosing a cute little, like, little girl um, who's doing cartwheels on the outfield instead of playing t-ball you know like she that's what I I was like you know on the t-ball field doing cartwheels rather than actually playing the game but that's just cute right that's just something that uh, cute little girls do as opposed to like oh this is something she can't focus she's not paying attention or she's having difficulty keeping up with the reading homework that the rest of her peers are are completing easily or relatively easily so I think a lot of things just got missed for the same reasons yeah It's so, I mean, we talked about this offline and I'm not afraid to bring it up here either, is that the, I got tested for ADHD when I was 15 and they were like, no, she gets good grades. She's fine. Like she, you know, whatever. And meanwhile, I was, had an exercise disorder. I had disordered eating popping up. I was a really hardcore swimmer. Um, I was coping in my own way to get my brain to quiet down. And I was also the daughter of an alcoholic, which put me in a position to be very high performing, very, you know, all of those things that, you know, there's, if you've never been on eldest daughter TikTok, like, if you just want a little bit of insight into my overachieving, just go ahead and type that in and get on my side of TikTok, because it is so resonant. And I mean, if you know an eldest daughter at all, like just just to understand them a little bit more. And I'd love to hear any listeners that relate to this because it's one yeah. of those things that I really truly thought I was alone in these expectations that I set for myself. And I'm I'm not carrying around trauma from my parents. Like it's not I was so privileged in so many ways. So I think to to black and white a situation never works. And over years of therapy, I think the thing that I have struggled with the most over the last couple of years, and I'm curious if you have too, is just this overwhelming sense of anger at this patriarchal society that just didn't think we were as important to do tests on, to learn about, to study. Um, we just didn't have the same worth in society that, like, it's now been 21 years and since I was originally tested and told, no, don't worry about it. And the yeah. things and the ang- like the anger I have that I've missed out mm-hmm. on by not being able to adapt in the same way as I got older, especially through college and, you know, becoming an injured athlete that could no longer perform and how it, that diagnosis would have made such a difference for me to understand myself better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really it's very enraging and knowing that dyslexia has affected your life in such unique ways. And I don't want to push aside the fact that you became a very visual, visually aesthetically driven designer as an adaptation and a way to adapt to the cards that you were dealt that no one even acknowledged. Um, I would just like, I don't know, like, do you have any feelings like that? Like I do that you talk to your therapist about, about like, just like this system is so messed up. Like, how did we get here? Like, 
what could we be doing if women were better served or acknowledged as full first class citizens? Like, do you have those feelings or am I just pushing that on you? (laughs) I struggle with the anger thing a lot. I wasn't diagnosed. So I got diagnosed at the same time um, with ADHD and dyslexia because some of the tests overlap Mm. um, or some some variation of the test signal. You know, if you get this on this score of whatever test you might test for dyslexia. So then I I did that at the same time. Um, And I was 30 years old. So you enter school, right? Kindergarten is what? You're five. So you went. So for 25 years of my life, I thought I was some kind of lazy, some kind of variation of lazy, stupid, you know, just not good enough, just not smart enough, all of, all of those kinds of things. Um, and, uh, I have a brother who, uh, was classified, um, had, I don't, I don't even know what they're called. They're, um, he had special accommodations in school. Um, and I, just remember being so jealous of him because I remember thinking like, these are these books, you know, like young adult novels, like Harry Potter, for example, um, that would come out and all of my peers were reading Harry Potter. And I'm like, I don't, I can't read this. I can't get through a five, six, 700 page book. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, so there was a lot, there was a lot of that. And I, you know, I think my brother got the attention that he got and I don't resent him at all. It's not his fault. He was, he was a kid, you know, just like I was. Um, but he got attention, um, in a way that I, you know, had I got that attention, I'm, would I struggle with the same kind of self-doubt that I've had to overcome? You know, would I struggle with the same kinds of, second guessing the decisions that I make and thinking that I'm not smart enough to get that client or, you know, I'm not going to be good enough to get that business or, or whatever it is. And there are a lot of things that I've overcome. I, I, you know, have worked a lot on that and I'm a lot better with the self-doubt stuff, but I do feel a lot of anger in that. I just, I got passed over because people just looked at me as the little girl who's a little quirky rather than oh, she actually needs our attention. This is something diagnosable rather than just personality traits. Are you back? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So I, we froze a little bit, but what I last heard was this is something diagnosable that you could actually get help with. And mm-hmm. is there like, if there are people out there that are hearing this and they're like, wait, I never considered dyslexia as something like, what are some of the things that you were noticing about yourself that were making it seem like, oh, yeah, that is actually making a lot of sense that I didn't realize or I didn't know about dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And what, like, if people are out there listening, like, what are some of those signs? What are some of those feelings? You mentioned a couple already, but just to make sure that people are advocating for themselves. 
Uh, I think um, it's tough because comparing yourself to other people is a trap. And, <laughs> you know, emotionally, like thinking, oh, they're smarter than me or, or whatever. But you also have to compare yourself a little bit yeah. to be able to see, you know, what are they doing that's different than what I'm doing. Um, and then emotionally, you know, you have to sort of do the work to be able to compare yourself without those comparisons being a judgment, like a sort of diagnosable, like, is this something that I should look into? It's not because I'm stupid or, you know, incompetent or whatever, but is this something that, that I should consider looking into? Um, so it, you know, dyslexia, it, it presents differently for a lot of people. Lots of people think that it's like words appear or like letters appearing backwards. And sometimes it is that sort of like a B looking like a D or, you know, things like that. Um, but for me, it's sort of like letters sort of, um, it's almost like they're totally jumbled up on the page for several seconds. So if I'm looking, if I'm reading like a book, for example, and I open the first page, it takes me several seconds to actually see letters as words. Um, so I'm just extremely slow at reading. Another thing that sort of clued me in was um, reading subtitles on TV and movies. I would often have to pause. If there were subtitles that were a little bit longer, I would have to pause to, to read the whole thing. Whereas people I was watching the movie with were like, what are you doing? We, you know, we, we finished reading that 30 seconds ago. What do you, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's just things like that. And now, um, and the ADHD too, I think they, they, play into each other a little bit because with with the ADHD I can have some auditory processing stuff as well. So I just now with clients I record everything, I get transcripts for everything. It just takes me like the processing time is um is a little bit longer. That doesn't mean I learn slowly or that doesn't mean I'm I'm not understanding it. It just means that the internal processing of like receiving the information takes a little bit of time. And I just like, you know, recording things, having transcripts so I can go back and refer, you know, look at exactly what we were talking about. Yeah, I love that because I think that especially in HR, so for anyone that's listening that is in HR or is the representative of a company that is in charge of helping make accommodations for people, um, we talk, we haven't talked too much about this. We could probably do a whole episode about it, but what are some accommodations that if someone, an employee brings to you like, hey, I feel like I might have some dyslexia or I'm not processing things the way that other people are. In HR, it's not our job to diagnose people, but it is our job to make sure that they have all the tools they need. So, so you mentioned a couple, but what are some of the tools that we can provide to our team members? Easy, simple things that we can make their lives a little bit easier, make them a little bit more productive. Um, that also lean in to if they say like, I have some, some processing things going on, or I'm not hundred percent sure why I can't focus. It doesn't, we're not always mm -hmm. looking for a diagnosis. Sometimes we're just trying to make people's jobs easier. So we're not mm -hmm. talking about disability accommodations right now, just like general human relatability accommodations that have helped you, um, as you've learned this about yourself. Yeah, I I'm still learning it about myself. I'm still figuring out exactly what it is that I need because, you know, for the first 30 years of my life, I was um, faking it. I was, I was doing my best to say, I don't need any accommodation. I'm good and trying my best to piece things together. And 
you know, if I'm being honest, it's made me a great entrepreneur because I can think on the fly mm -hmm. <laughs> very easily. And there's a lot of things that I can do. Um, a lot of adaptations that I've, that have basically happened by accident. Um, in sort of not having accommodation. So there's a lot of things that I'm trying to unlearn about myself uh, to relearn the kinds of accommodations that I need. It's for me, it started um, with, you know, making sure I record everything, making sure I get transcripts for everything. And now technology makes that kind of stuff um, a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think just sort of making sure, um, also asking a lot of questions. I ask a lot of clarifying questions now. I repeat words back to them. Is this what you meant by that? Is this how we can handle that? So what I'm hearing is you need this, etc. So I think making sure that your, um, company culture in general is just set up to make sure that people feel comfortable saying, you know, raising their hand and saying, can you clarify that? Is this what you meant? Can I repeat what you said back to you? Can I, you know, all of that kind of processing um, is, is a culture thing, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think making a stand, even when you don't know that it might affect someone on your team to say, there are there may be things that we can do to make your job a little easier. There may be accommodations that we can make for you. Don't be afraid to let us know what's going on so that we can provide that kind of gap, I guess. We can fill that gap for you. We can put you in a position to feel heard and seen. And we don't need it to be this big titled thing. Like we don't need it to be like, I have an illness. I have a learning disability, whatever. I need accommodations. It can just be like, I really process things a lot better when I can look at a transcript after the meeting and pull my notes from it or making it part of your culture to just have that be part of it. Like, hey, I like I had an employee one time in, in the he was a swim instructor in the pool and he was and now I'm looking back on it and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is exactly one of those moments. But he was like, I think they have these waterproof tablets that you can buy, like just like kind of like a not like a computer tablet, but like a thing you can buy where we could write notes about our students. Like I think that would be really helpful for me to like remember what it is that they're doing each week or each lesson from class to class. And in my mind, I was like, sure, we can get you one of these $20 things. Like you're that's a little extra. Like just remember the kid. Like in my mind, I was thinking that. But now I'm like, wow, he was processing things in such a different way. Like you know, he used that tablet like he wanted it because not because it was some extra it was extra work for him. Like I kind of didn't get it. But I we were like, yeah, I mean, you want that? Like, sure. Like, let's see how it goes. No one else wanted one. There was didn't seem to be any real like need for them. But to him, it made a difference. And now I'm like looking back on it. I'm so glad that he could come up and and ask for those things and know that he wasn't going to be judged. Like, even if it seemed a little like out of left field, he didn't say he had a disability or anything. He was just kind of like, this would help me do my job better. And I think it's important to create culture where people can say, this small thing could help me do my job better. This, if I could get up a half an hour later, or if I had time to have a half an hour to have my coffee before our morning meeting, because I have to drop my kids off at school, that would make the biggest difference in my day. Like some of my employees have made requests, like, can we do our big kickoff calls in the morning? So I I can process what we learn in that kickoff call for the full day. And so we changed it. We made it so that we could do that so that they could perform better. And 
it, my point is, I don't think we should have to have a disability to understand and lean into how we work best so that we can have a better quality of life at work and at home. And I think it's our responsibility as entrepreneurs to understand that about each other and to provide those spaces for our teams. It's not just some extra thing you do that you get rewarded for. It should be the bare minimum. And yeah. it sucks. Like, I mean, of course, I'm like this raging, like anger box of 21 years of suffering, you know, but... <laughs> But overall, I'm like, this is how we make a difference. You know, we make these changes. We don't ask for a doctor's note every time somebody needs to be out sick for a mental health day. You know, like, we don't ask for those things. Like, you, you, you know, keep things straightforward. You build the structure. But also, like, leave space for things that don't need to be proven by a doctor. Like, just for the humanity of it all. So, And it can be really... Um you know, I was lucky to be able to actually get, get an actual assessment for ADHD and dyslexia, but they're expensive and they're mm -hmm. hard. It's very difficult to get an appointment. I said, when I was scheduling my assessment, um, I didn't, you know, I had to schedule it like three months out or something. And I literally said to the woman on the phone, I was like, if I have ADHD, do you think it makes sense for me to be waiting for this? <laughs> Like, I know, but like everybody, you know, there's so many, like, it's hard to get an appointment. So the, the, um, you know, privilege that you have by actually literally having the doctor's note is that something that we have to acknowledge and, and be okay with saying, oh, you want to record the meeting, even if it's in person, oh, you want to get extra notes, you want to d do whatever, then like, great, you don't need to have uh, the doctor's note. And I also think as entrepreneurs in general, there's a very strong correlation with ADHD to entrepreneurship because of our focus and because we're also uniquely, um, we can do a lot of things and we can do a lot of things really, really well. So it's, it's you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, whether they're diagnosed or not, have a lot of ADHD tendencies. So I think a lot of us, have struggled in the past, whether we do have ADHD or just some of those tendencies or whatever it might be, there's a reason that we became entrepreneurs. And I think a lot of us can either look at that, the, the things that we experienced in our past and say, oh, I had it so rough. So now everybody coming behind me has to have it rough. Or we can say, I had it so rough. So how can I pave the way for them a little bit? How can I make it a smoother ride for them coming behind me? Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the parts of us that are healed or not healed. You know, if we want to make it really difficult for people coming behind us, then it might sort of signal that we haven't done the internal work. And if we're willing to say it was really, really hard for me and I experienced a lot of shit going through all of that, and now I want to make it easier for you. That's that's a really difficult thing to do because we have to have done the internal work to be able to do that. Yeah. to I mean, just to accept that there's an additional burden. Like when you're in fight or flight that comes as a response to the things that we've even talked about in this episode, you don't have the space and you shouldn't feel bad about it to shoulder the burden of something else. And... You cannot build a business on the backs of other people if you're not going to be there to support them. So if you are not willing to take that on as a burden and a responsibility, you're not ready for a team. People ask me all the time, well, how do I know if I'm ready for a team? How do I know if I'm ready to hire an employee? I'm like, I don't know. Do you want to? 
Yeah. Like, do you, are you excited to support someone? Are you excited to motivate someone? Do you feel like if somebody called you with a major emergency that you could handle it with grace and poise and like show up? I don't know why I just became like a weird pastor. That was weird. Um, <laughs> but like, can you handle it with like being direct and concise yeah. and clear and supportive and put your needs of, aside to help this person? It's not even about revenue. And also there is absolutely nothing wrong with not wanting to have someone on your team. There is nothing wrong with it. There is nothing wrong with being a solopreneur. There is nothing wrong with hiring contractors as long as you're categorizing them correctly. There is nothing wrong with building a business that works around your life that doesn't have a big, huge team. Those are vanity metrics and they're bullshit. Like people are like, well, how many people do you have on your team? I'm like four. And that's how it's going to stay. That's what I want. I want to be able to fully throw myself into the careers of these four people. And that is it. And maybe that'll change one day. But there's nothing. If somebody tells me they have 10 people on their team, but their profit margins are 10%. I'm like, I'm way more impressed with the girl that has 70% profit margins and pays her two team members really well. Like that is the goal. That is what we're trying to do. But I think in order to show up for our team in that way, we have to at least have some semblance of healing or at least some kind of self-awareness of why we might get a weird feeling or a gut feeling if we are asked to go out and support someone else and to understand that that is part of the job as a leader and a manager and just being the person that runs a team. And you can't outsource that type of leadership. You can't just bring someone on your team to manage your team and then forget about them. Like your business will get washed away. Your mission will be washed away. Your personality will be washed away. And that brings us back to branding. Um, So we have our internal brands and our external brands. But before we wrap up, can you just tell everybody where to find you, who your ideal clients are, and how someone can work with you? I have a feeling a lot of our listeners are going to be like, oh, she understands me. Like, I would love for her to build my brand. Um, So can you talk a little bit about that and how people can pay you money? (laughs) Yes, of course. I'd be happy to. Thank you so much for asking. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so sealevelagency.com uh, is where you can find me. I'm also on LinkedIn. I am not on Instagram. Well, I am on Instagram, but my account is private. So um, I'm on Instagram at Allison E. Conway. On LinkedIn, also, you can find me, Allison E. Conway, um, or sealevelagency.com. And sea level is spelled S E A L E V E L, as in the level of the sea. Perfect. And I think you'll be back. So I'm going to leave it at that. But we'll also include all these links in the show notes. But if anything resonated here, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. Just being Allison's friend, knowing her for a few years now, watching this evolution. um, I think I can say that both of us welcome these conversations. And I'm super excited for everyone to meet you and talk to you and be like real colleagues for each other and support systems for each other. So thank you so much for being here. Check out the show notes for all those links and reach out immediately. I just also am like, oh my God, Allison's so cool. She just has LinkedIn. (laughs) But we'll end on a high note. And um, yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed the episode and we will see you next Wednesday. Thanks. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.